Welcome to Pragmatic. Pragmatic is a show about technology and contemplating the finer details and their practical application. By exploring the real-world trade-offs, we dive into how great ideas can be transformed into products and services that impact our lives. Pragmatic is entirely supported by you, our listeners. If you'd like to support us and keep the show ad-free, you can by becoming a premium supporter. Premium support is available via Patreon and through the Apple Podcasts channel subscription. Premium supporters have access to early release, high-quality versions of episodes, as well as bonus material from all of our shows not available anywhere else. Pragmatic is also a podcasting 2.0 enhanced show, and with the right podcast player, you can also stream Satoshis and Boost with a message as you listen. Just visit engineer.network slash pragmatic to learn how you can help this show to continue to be made. Thank you. Pragmatic Electric has recently launched as a video edition of this podcast. You can watch in Podfriend, Curiocaster, the Apple Podcasts app, Downcast, Podcast Guru, or if you're into YouTube, it's there too. Make sure you check it out today. Uh, I'm your host, uh, John Chidji, and today I'm joined by Russell Ivanovich. How you doing, Russell? Hey, good, John. How's things? Very, very good. Thank you very much. Um, it's great to catch up with you again. It's been a few years uh, since we last spoke. I think it was on episode 69. We spoke about Apple Watch complications, which was very complicated. But um, but yes. <laughs> I love it. Also, I think uh, yeah, Elon would definitely appreciate the, the number of that podcast. Well played. He absolutely would, yes. So you chose well back then. That's true. 107, which is today, is uh, slightly less... Uh, um, anyhow, but never mind. It's fine. When we get to 420, I'll have to get you back on specifically, but that's a long way off. <laughs> anyway, that's okay. That's an Elon joke that only, yeah, never mind. It's fine. All right. Cool. So um, as I mentioned before, we get too stuck in, I just wanted to, to talk a little bit about, because um, I, so I, I recently did invest in a Tesla Model 3 uh, SR Standard Range Plus, and um, it kind of inspired me to um, have a crack at video. And I talked about this briefly last episode, but just to reiterate, so I, I kind of uh, did some videos. I've done five episodes. Um, I did an, an episode about a wind farm that was nearby. I say nearby, two and a half hour drive away. That's nearby in Australia. Um, you know, <laughs> uh, I did it at Country Road, uh, driving on a country road just for something different. Uh, but uh, the three that are more relevant to today's topics, um, you've got, uh, I did initial impressions of my Tesla, and not the impressions of how it drove necessarily, more about how it's perceived when you're driving it. Um, challenges of driving in distances, long distances in Australia, an electric car. And then I, I reviewed a sunshade for my glass roof, which I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about. But in any case, um, so uh, anyone that's interested in having a, a watch of those, then let me know what you think. Um, so far, I've had some okay feedback. Uh, I don't know if it's going to become a regular thing or not. But um, but hey, you know, uh, it's a little bit of fun, and if people like it, I might make some more. We'll see how we go. I did talk about Tesla just you know in depth, like in a ridiculous amount of depth, as I sometimes am known to do, um, on episodes eighty two uh, slash eighty three. It was actually one massive four hour recording with Caleb Elston from the Tesla Show. Oh wow! And uh, that was back in October of twenty seventeen. I split into two episodes uh, out of sympathy um, for the listeners, um, but anyway. So, um, but a lot of things have changed since then because that was October 2017. So, Model 3 wasn't even, I don't think, even out then. Um, it was close. No, it, wasn't. no it, was, yeah, it was very close, but not quite, and certainly not for Australia. So, so the things that have changed are, obviously, now I own a Tesla Model 3, and I say own, the bank owns. We all understand how that works. And, um, and Russell, now you, I saw that you have had um, 
two Teslas or you're onto your second Tesla. So uh, tell me, walk me through a little bit about how, how that happened, why you did it. And, and um, yeah, I'm just, I'm just genuinely curious. Yeah. So it, it's, it's interesting, I guess, for those of you that don't know much about me, um, I used to have a company, Shifty Jelly. I ran it with um, a good mate of mine, Philip Simpson. Um, and we ran that for a good 10 years. Like we had a lot of fun. We made, um, you know, a bunch of decent sort of apps for the app store. We did pretty well. Um, and we sold that to an American sort of public radio conglomerate in, in 2018. I won't sort of bore you with the details, but I guess as part of that, like I didn't become a billionaire overnight or anything, but I did get some money from the sale. And I kind of thought like, what, what's the one thing like, you know, we've, we've got a home loan, we've got a house, we've got, you know, the house we've always wanted and stuff like that. Nothing too extravagant, just like a family home. And I'm like, there's a little bit of money left over. What's something that I could, you know, potentially do that I've always wanted to do? Um, and the only, like you say, the only sort of electric car that was that was decent back then was the Model S. You couldn't get the Model 3. I'm not even sure the Kona and sort of other cars like that. I think the, maybe the Nissan Leaf was the only other thing that was in Australia back in 2018. Yeah. Um, and so I ended up taking the plunge. I'm like, well, I want to try this. Like it's an experience, you know, if I have to sell it in six months' time because I... I hate it. I was because charging it's too hard. You know, I'm I'm okay to live with that. I think the resale value is pretty good. Um, so I went ahead and I pulled a trigger, pulled the trigger on a Model S. Um, but then it was I think two years later when the Model Three um, just had a revision. I think they they changed the trim, they put it in a heat pipe, a pump, they changed a few other things, um, and that I thought was the perfect time to sort of scale down to a more reasonably sized car because if you've never driven a Model S, they are crazy wide. Like trying to park mm. them in car parks and drive them around, it's not. It's a lovely car to drive, but it's not a super practical car if, if, if you like going to shopping centers and other sort of places like that. And so I had a Golf before that, like a Volkswagen Golf, like wow. a tiny little car. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I can talk about that a bit later on if you want, but I traded in the Model S um, for a Model 3. And so that was a, yeah, it was a really funny process. Like a truck turned up, it took the Model S and it dropped off a Model 3 and then the guy left and, and that was it. Wow. Because uh, Adelaide, um, Adelaide doesn't have a, uh, a Tesla showroom, does it? I don't think. No, no, there there isn't anything in Adelaide. So there is a service center. Um, so there's the Tonsley Innovation District that used to be Mitsubishi basically is now Flinders University. Mm-hmm. There is a Tesla service place there. Um, but yeah, there's no there's no showroom where you can actually go and sort of see them or, or pick them up. Wow. Well, that's uh, that's interesting because I, I, I did know that they had that option if you were, I think, it, oh, I'm trying to remember the distance. It was 250 kilometers or 300 kilometers from the nearest uh, uh, the nearest actual delivery center. Uh, in Brisbane, my experience was somewhat different because um, I'm only, well, I say only in air quotes, 50 kilometers. I guess that's pretty that's pretty close, but you know, still a long way to walk uh, to get to the um, uh, delivery center. So the delivery center in Brisbane was more of a um, kind of like a, well, I think it's fair to call it a little bit of a somewhat of a rusty, rundown kind of warehouse um, <laughs> in the middle of Hendra, yep. and you're sort of like wandering in there and trying to find this place. There's one sign out on the roadside that's hidden behind some trees. It's like, oh, that says Tesla on it. Great. So I know there's some expensive like electric cars somewhere in one of these dodgy looking warehouses. And you're walking around trying to find the entrance. And um, the only thing that gives it away that it might be classy is that um, they got a few red ropes um, out the front. And that's pretty much the only sign. So it was kind of crazy. But I mean, having a car delivered to your door, just that on its own is kind of cool. I mean, when you think about it. I can't think of too many places to do that. No, so the, we should talk briefly about that. So the audio and process for a Tesla, for those of you that haven't tried it, is you literally go on the website, um, you fill in a form, and I think you pay around $150, maybe $300 deposit, um, and that's it. There's there's nothing else to do. Like from that point on, the car is ordered and it goes into you know eventually production and gets put on a boat and sent to Australia. But 
it's a really weird way of kind of ordering a car because, you know, I'm, I'm sure I'm like most people are used to going to a dealer, whether you're buying sort of new or used or you're going private and you got to do some haggling and you got to talk to people and you got to find the right price and you got to figure out stock. Like it's, it's a different way of buying and I don't know that it's universally better. Like I wouldn't say everything about the experience is better. For, for example, when I ordered the Model S, they were super friendly. It was basically white glove service, you know, a phone call every two weeks from my you know, designated rep who was telling me about all this different stuff and, you know, he was keeping me appraised of the dates and helping me with the charger install. They used to give you a, a charger, sort of send that to you beforehand ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's funny ordering the the Model 3, like even though it was a trade-in, it was still a like a normal order through Tesla and that was a completely different experience. Like I had to call them and find out, you know, you know where's the car, when's it arriving, how's it all going to happen or whatever and it felt like I don't know whether things had changed in those two years or whether just buying a Model 3 you don't get the same level of service or anything, but it really felt like a disjointed um, sort of thing until until I got a phone call to say, hey, your car's going to be, you know, just arrived in Victoria. We're going to ship it to Adelaide next week. Um, you know, can can you organize the money and everything else so that it's, it's there ready to go? Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad you sort of um, have, because you're able to give both sides of that over that two-year period. I don't know if something changed. I do know that you can't buy a Model S now for, you know, through Tesla because they've, they've basically stopped producing them uh, for export at this point while they ramp up the Model Plaid, um, the, the next generation and the refresh and so on that include the Plaid. So, you know, you can't even order one right now, even if you wanted to via Tesla, I don't think. So, um so I don't know if it's a Model 3 thing. I don't know if it's a scale thing. I guess I kind of told myself that, no, 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 Tesla were always like this. They were always terrible, but apparently not. So, I mean, back in when you got the Model S, it was white glove. It's like, wow. Yeah, the, the Model S was amazing service. It was from day one, I knew exactly what was happening. There were so many emails. There were so many phone calls. Um, and I'd only paid, I think back then it was like a $100 deposit. It was a really small amount of money compared to, you know, obviously what the car cost. And they sent me a charger, which was worth more than that, like to my house to, to get installed and everything else. And I'm like, okay, that's that's a good level of service. Yeah, that's really impressive. That is really, really good. I mean, because my, my experience reflects, uh, aligns more with what you experienced with the Model 3. Yeah. Um, and I And I was so... Um, I really didn't want to be that guy, you know, but I guess like the guy who's just like uh, really needy, really impatient um, and so on. And I tried really hard not to to pester them too often. And uh, I think I called them like three or four times in the space of like six weeks. I didn't think that was excessive. But in the end, I stopped calling them because I just realized that they didn't know or they wouldn't tell me. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I started keeping notes and I and ended up end up being a very, very long blog post. Um, it's 24 minutes to read it from start to finish. If you really want to lose half an hour of your life, you're welcome to do that. <laughs> um, but my, my biggest frustration was simply the lack of uh, information. Uh, I mean, I got to the point where the only way I could tell was I joined this, uh, this particular guy's page. Um, he has a Patreon called Vita Prime. Yeah, and uh, he 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 tracks all the ships. You're familiar with this guy? Yeah, I've just learned about him recently. I didn't didn't know about him back in the day. Yeah, okay. So he um so I mean I, I joined up for a couple of months and jumped on the Discord and uh, that was actually the the best part of the whole uh, the whole thing actually was the Discord because there's all these other people out there that are exactly the same position that you're in. Yeah, and so there was a lot of commiseration about yeah this sucks and my goodness and yada yada yada. Well, you can imagine. But anyway. So um, in the end, uh, my biggest frustration was it might, mine took like the 12, 13 weeks, something or whatever to arrive, um, which is the longest I've ever had to wait for a car. But of course, you know, with the global chip shortage, which I talked about in a, a couple episodes ago on Pragmatic, um, I mean, I understand why that is the way it is and it's affecting other manufacturers, different models in different ways. So there's no question that it's a problem across the board. But having said that, 
in a microcosm, you know, no information, no updates from Tesla. It was just very, very frustrating. So I think the ordering process was good. I really enjoyed not having to haggle. Like, because I've actually bought, yeah. you know, like three cars in the last year and dealing with Tesla versus dealing with um, regular car dealers. I mean, regular car dealers just irritate the crap out of me because, you know, the, there's this, the lady that comes in and she says, right, how much do you care about your paint? And I'm like, no one near as much as <laughs> oh, you think I goodness. do. Yeah, we had all that as well oh. when we bought the Volkswagen. Yeah. It's like windows, paint, seat treatment. And they call you like once every two weeks. It's like a regime of like, how much more money can we mine out of your wallet before this car arrives? And you're like, oh my goodness, just just stop. Yeah, you're not wrong, eh? No, I I, I found that to be so, so frustrating and, and, and irritating. And I, and I got to the point where I walk into the office to have the talk with that representative trying to flog off all the extras. And I basically said, one of us is going to be walking out of this room very disappointed and I'm terribly sorry about that. Because <laughs> um, honestly, I just like I want to get in early. I don't want to make them think they have a chance because they don't. But it's just frustrating to deal with it. Yeah, and that's literally the only good experience I've ever had with a car dealer. Is I, I met him and he's like, "Oh, hey, I run this place. It was like a Subaru dealership." And I said, "Look, like I've been to a lot of car dealers and I've done the thing where you know we agree on a price and then you go to your manager and your manager's like, oh, I can't possibly do that price.' And then they, you know, you spend like." three hours trying to buy a car for like a decent price. I'm like, I don't want to do that. Like this is the car I'm interested in. You know, I want to know a bit more about it. I want to know if you can do it for this price. And if you can't, like I'm not going to waste your time and, and I hope you're not going to waste mine. And he ended up just being like really nice. It's literally the only nice car dealer like I've, I've ever dealt with. And I think, I don't know, I'm trying to think in my lifetime, probably bought like five, six cars. I mean, oh, that's, I only had like one good experience. Yeah. Well, the, the the thing is, I um and and I I can understand that being the case. Like, if he's actually the dealer, principal, the owner, and so on and so forth, it's a very different kind of conversation to someone who's got a commission they're trying to meet. And it's uh, yeah, definitely yeah, and it's 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 rough. And and I do like that part of the Tesla process, but then the delivery part for me was just yeah, uh, was where it all got let down. But you know what? You forget all that once you jump in the driver's seat and drive out. Oh, you do, don't you? So it's like right, good. Thank God that's over, and I love this car. <laughs> uh, I just wanted to add one more thing that was pressing pressing me at the time is I had promised that I'd take my daughter to the her grade twelve formal um, in a red Tesla. Yeah, and um, I was uh, I was about five or six days too late um, to do that, so I almost Ooh. almost made it. Um, but in any case, she went in my wife's car, which is also red, so that counts as far as I'm concerned. But oh well. <laughs> No, I was going to say it was interesting the the actual delivery day experience of the two vehicles. So the the Model S, um, uh, there was a guy that actually like he came with the delivery. So he actually came, I believe, on the truck to all the way to Adelaide, like from Melbourne. Wow. Um, and he gave me like a full one hour tour. He's like, you know, here's how the buttons work on the touchscreen. He's had to register your key fob. He's had to do anything. Do you have any questions? He's had. To, he literally sat in the car with me for like half an hour just explaining every sort of minute detail of the car and you know assuring me that you know this is where you go for this this is where you go for that but like i say i don't know if it was the same for you but when the model 3 arrived the guy that dropped it off wasn't even a tesla representative he was literally just a like a, a car truck driver and he's like look mate i'm really glad you're not asking me any questions about the car because i don't work for tesla and i don't know anything about this vehicle oh my god <laughs> just sign here please and i'm like wow what a, what a different experience wow yeah so for when, when i actually went in and picked it up uh, i was early because you know i well first of all i was in, impatient I'll, I'll you know i'll cop to that um but at the same time i wasn't that early i was like 30 maybe 40 minutes early but um in any case so there's a lot of people that were there for the 10 a.m time slot also would have been but i was the first one to show up so i walk in there and there's like this two guys shuffling cars around you know doing the detailing at one end and then shuffling them around to i guess 
you know, to a different stage in the production line of getting them ready for people to pick them up. And there was one lady there running point with the clipboard saying, uh, or iPad, you know what I mean? Yeah. Saying, oh, yeah, what's your name? Who are you? What are you doing? Yada, yada, yada. And so I was the first one in and she basically said, oh, you look like you know what you're doing. Uh, your car's over there and um, just let me know when you want any photos. And yeah, I've got a few more things to do. And that was it. <laughs> wow. And I'm like, in fairness, I did actually know what I was doing and I had actually done all my research. I had watched all the videos because, you know, I, yeah, this is the first time I've actually bought a car that I really, really, really wanted yeah. in nearly 20 years. So you better bet your ass I did my research the hell out of the damn thing. So I already knew what I was doing before I sat in the car, but it's not necessarily the point. Um, and it was like um, after I'd been there for like five, six, ten minutes, something like that, she said, came over, took some photos, and she said, all right, all good, bye, see you later. <laughs> And like I said, and that was it. It's like, it was quite possibly the the worst handover experience of any car I've ever had in my whole life. And you know, yeah, and and recent ones included. Like we got better treatment from the Mitsubishi dealership, you know, for example. Yeah. Um. But yeah, anyway, it's it's just interesting. I find it interesting how it's evolved and and so on. So maybe it's a scale problem. I don't know. Yeah, it could be, but I just get the impression that Tesla doesn't invest enough in their their sort of sales. Um, and I, maybe I, you could say on one hand, oh, they don't have to. Like they're selling every single car they make. But I think there is something important about that first sort of experience with a company that you've mm. – like, let's face it, these cars aren't cheap, right? No, they're not. So whether the bank's paid for it or you paid for it, it's still the amount of money that you know, you're liable for. And it's not a, not a small amount. Like you're talking premium sort of you know, BMW, Mercedes you know, type money. It's like you expect like some level of service and I'm not trying to be snooty or anything. It's more just like, you know, I bought this thing from you. There's a, a certain, you know, level of service I expect to just be like, hey, here's all the things. Do you have any questions? You know, this is what you do when blah and, you know, have a good day type thing. Yeah. Oh, I absolutely agree. And, and the conclusion of the, the article that I, that I wrote, my massive you know, half hour long blog post that I wrote about my experience buying it, the conclusion I reached was that there needs to be some kind of better balance. They've simply gone too far the other way. Unbeknownst to me, they used to be um, too far the other way with a white glove service as opposed to now, which they are not. Uh, no glove, um, no hands, <laughs> nothing. I don't know what you'd had to describe it, but there has to be a better balance between that and a more traditional kind of you know, meet in the middle somewhere. So I don't know. Hopefully they get better at that. Um, time will tell, I suppose. But I might be buying another one for a while because I need my bank account to recover first. <laughs> yeah, I feel that pain as well. I mean, I, I got lucky because I guess lucky is a weird way to put it, but I managed to trade in um, my S for a three. So there was no sort of money changing hands on, on that one. So it felt really easy. Like I got the car mm. that I actually wanted in the end. And in, I know I lost a lot of money, but I felt like I didn't pay any money to get it. So it was, it was good. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, we um we did a trade in for it, our, our Toyota Fortuna, um, and we got a uh, Suzuki Ignis out of it. So again, it was like like a it was a pure swap. I could have made more selling it privately, but it just felt like I was getting a new car for free for my daughter. So it was kind of like you know, yeah, big bulky four wheel drive, which was still narrower than a Model S. Just want to point that out. Yes, they are <laughs> a bloody wide car, but anyhow. So yeah, I understand that one. So okay, um. I want to talk more about like uh, like touchscreen interfaces and all sorts of different things, experience of driving Model 3. But there is one thing that you've been blogging a little bit about that I really want to talk about. And it's mainly because you've gone above and beyond what I've tried to do. Uh, and that's about your solar setup. For me, I don't have a battery. I've just got 5.8 kilowatts worth of panels. I've got a 4.8 uh, kilowatt um, you know, grid connect inverter. Um, it's basically stock standard basic, nothing too flash. I've since upgraded to three-phase power. 
Um, you know, so my system hasn't, I could go up much more. I could go up to 15 kilowatts if I wanted to, um, but I haven't and I don't have a battery. But you, on the other hand, different story. So just uh, love to walk through what you've what you've currently got and how it's grown over the years. And Yeah, so it's, it's interesting. Like I've always had a passion for renewable energy and sort of, you know, seeing our grids convert to that type of thing. But then I, I kind of got myself thinking is, is can you do that kind of thing at home? So when I, we built this new house, I think back in sort of 2017, 2018 type, type frame, um, I was very purposeful in not connecting gas to it and making sort of every single appliance electric and trying to pick, you know, really efficient appliances as well. And at that time, I um, I got a solar system. There's, um, I think it was six kilowatts at the time. And for those of you that might not be in Australia or at least not in South Australia, like that's, it's not heavily subsidized, but it is subsidized. So you might get two or $3,000 from the South Australian government for the solar install. So it felt like a, a no-brainer. When you look at the, the power prices it was back then in South Australia versus how much you can generate um, on a six kilowatt system, I'm like, well, that's two or three years that pays for itself like that that one's easy um, and then later on the South Australian government introduced an initiative where they would actually subsidize batteries and so the subsidy back then was six thousand dollars for for a home battery mm. and that at the time was half the cost of a powerwall and I'm like oh that's 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 almost too good to ignore like I've always wanted mm. a battery they're a bit expensive but that rebate sort of brought it within reach um, so yeah I went did the same thing went to the Tesla website um, ordered a powerwall that process was was pretty funny because I don't know how they do it now, but back then basically like a local installer called me and organized the date and sort of came and did a whole bunch of tests and took some photos that that he had to send back to Tesla. And I think they also here in South Australia had to get grid approval. But long story short, six kilowatts, one Powerwall. Um, And for those that don't know, they're about 13 and a half kilowatt hours in in terms of storage. So that's Mm -hmm. how much storage you can put in a Powerwall till it's full. Mm -hmm. Um, And with a six kilowatt system on a sunny day, no worries. Like you can fill that up by midday. But what I really quickly found is that I'd misunderstood, I guess, how we use power in my home. So during the day back then, none of us were working from home. No one's at home. No one's using power all, all day. Like my wife's at the office. I'm at the office. So literally we're collecting all the solar. We're putting it to the Powerwall and then we're both at work. Um, then we come home and 6 p.m. is when we slam the the power, right? The, the kids are watching TV, the stuff streaming, we're cooking on our electrical appliances, um, you know, maybe we're running the dishwasher, you know, maybe the, the washing machine and the, the other stuff. And then I realized that there was quite a few days where we could stay sort of off-grid, but there were some days where we just didn't make it. Like the 13 and a half kilowatts that it stored just wasn't enough for all those nighttime activities. And the other thing I really misjudged was we had a solar hot water system. So I'm like, solar hot water, that seems like a great idea. You know, you've got this these tubes that heat up using magic gas or whatever and, you know, you don't need to use power because, yes, it's electric boosted when it gets too cold, but in theory you never have to use that. Um, and then that's the one thing the Powerwall showed me instantly. So that comes with an app from from Tesla, the same one you use for your car, but it shows you live instantaneous like power use. Like I'm clicking on it now. Um, and right now there's 3.1 kilowatts coming down off my roof. There's 0.3 going to my house, 2.8 going to the grid. And my wife and I just found that we were fascinated by that graph. We're just watching this little animated graph all day and, you know, we're flicking the kettle on, we're turning on some other appliance and you instantly see it change. And I think for me at least that really changed something about my power use is when you could see the instantaneous impact that you were having, you know, on, on the local sort of power generation. Um, it just changed something in my thinking. And I, I just, at that point, I decided like at some point, you know, when we have the means, I'm going to get more solar um, and I'm going to get a second power. Well, not because it starts to pay itself off in two or three years, because I think the deeper you go into that, um, the less, you know, it might take you 10 years or, or more to sort of pay it off. But it was more about can we actually live off grid? And I don't mean disconnect ourselves from the physical grid, like we're still connect, connected to it, but can we basically use no grid power at all? Mm. 
Um, so yeah, I ended up getting a, a second power wall. I ended up getting another, I think, five or six kilowatts of solar. Um, and I found that you actually can. Like, it's amazing. Like, even in winter, like, you can pull down enough power, um, you know, to sort of power the whole house and everything that we do. And the other sort of big thing I did, and this, again, complete waste of money, but I replaced the solar hot water system. I, I sold it on Gumtree to someone who really wanted one. Um, and I bought a heat pump, um, you know, hot water system because mm. I heard, you know, amazing things about them. Everyone was like, they're so efficient. They use hardly any power. And it almost seems like magic. Like, I know the science behind it. I know it's heating a gas from, you know, one temperature to another using the outside um, air, but it does feel a little bit like magic and I was a tiny bit skeptical but I had one of those installed I think three or four months ago and the power use difference between that and a solar hot water system is absolutely amazing so the whole solar hot water system you could see it in the Tesla app it would um, use the electric boost to sort of recharge itself twice a day um, and that would instantly slam you know three kilowatts for maybe an hour and then three kilowatts for another hour you know at the end of the day there's six kilowatts just going into to heating water that's also being um, heated by the sun so i can't imagine how much a standard electric one uses it's crazy but this heat pump is amazing like it's just hardly any power and it just it keeps itself hot and it, i've just set it to the setting where it, you know whenever you think you need to charge don't worry about if it's day or not just just charge yourself um and it's yeah it's literally using like hardly any power at all it comes back down to it used to be the number one sort of use in a house and now it's just it's down there with all the other appliances you know it doesn't stand out on its own and so we've gone completely off grid in, in essence like i charge my tesla um, everything we do in the house is sort of powered off this system it's just yeah it's been it's been a real eye opener and i know i know that's an expensive setup like i don't expect most people will be able to install that in the house but there is something really to be said for getting enough solar on the roof because that's fairly cheap in in australia at least and maybe at like at least one battery and if you have to use some grid power i think that that works out because our grid is pretty clean here in SA as well. But I just wanted to go that extra mile, if if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, that's um that's very cool. I mean, there's no no question in my um, in my mind that that's definitely the right way to go if you have the means. And I and I was sort of looking at doing that myself, but you know the the master of coin, she said, well, not not really. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, okay, fine. Uh, let's pay off the cars first, and then we'll talk again. So in a few years, I can see myself doing that maybe. Yeah. Um, because I've got plenty of roof space. I've got a shed that's got roof space and, you know, I've only got half of my, my roof covered in solar panels. So there's a whole nother half there. And I know it's not the ideal angle, but there's ways and means around that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we, we used to have a, a solar hot water system, uh, as well. And, uh, honestly, it's, um, it was quite a, uh, it was quite an unreliable thing in the end, um, which is another story altogether. I don't want to go there, but, um, but the heat pump, I'm curious about the heat pump. So what, what sort of damage was the heat pump to the, to the wallet i'm just curious so again all things south australia there was a rebate for that one as well mm, but so i think it worked out to about um five grand sort of fully installed mm, okay. but i think the actual cost was about seven so i'm pretty sure the sa government covered sort of about two grand of it which is a lot of to be fair that's a lot of money to pay for a hot water system so instantaneous gas would have cost about 900 bucks for the unit i don't know what installation is these days um an electric one would have been like at least half the price um of the heat pump but I think that one is is really like a no-brainer. That one will pay for itself in the end. Like even if I didn't have the setup that I did, I think that's definitely worth installing. And it's the other thing I was worried about is is the noise factor. So, you know, I read on some forums, you know, this one's 65 dB and this one's 58 dB. But literally the unit I have is there's a 300-litre a tank where obviously the, the hot water goes mm-hmm. and there's a little air conditioner-looking unit next to it. And that thing just spins a fan. Like you can stand next to it and you, can, you can't hear anything. Like I was really worried about that because that goes outside um, one of my kids' bedrooms, like right next to his window. And my wife had a bit of a freak out. She's like, oh, no, you've put like an air conditioner thing right next to his window. Like he's going to hear that all day. But 
it's honestly it's silent it's power efficient like the cost is pretty much the only prohibitive sort of thing about it it's it's been amazing yeah because i did look at though uh the heat pump as well um uh, and yeah that was about that kind of price range i think i got like eight eight and a half thousand whatever i was quoted at the time but i mean uh depends on the size of the system and the installer i imagine and there weren't any rebates uh queensland energy rebates and yeah you don't normally get the two of those together um in queensland but oh well um joys of queensland but still um but no, look, it's it's definitely the the best technology that's available, and uh, for the moment, it's just it's yeah, it's the the high entry price. But if you can do it, then yeah. The other thing is that's interesting is the whole connect to the grid and not connect to the grid thing. So I've thought about that a lot because a lot of uh, with everyone migrating away, not everyone, but with a lot of people now migrating to renewable, uh, whether that's wind or far more likely in Australia, solar. Um, once you put that in together with a battery and an inverter and so on and so forth, and of course the inverter is all built into the power wall, so you don't have to worry about that, which is nice. Um, if you do actually connect to the grid, then that's that daily rate that they charge you is how they get you. And that daily rate keeps going up and up and up to compensate for the number of people that aren't drawing the same amount of power off the grid as they used to. And uh, yeah. the thing that worries me is that they're going to keep putting up that daily usage tariff number um, and it's going to become, they're going to reach a point. I don't know when this is going to happen, but it, it, I think it is inevitable that it's going to reach a point where it then becomes cost effective for you just to buy, um, I don't want to say a diesel generator because diesel you know, is, is nasty, but if you've got an actual blackout situation and you cannot get enough, like you have a week of solid rain, you know, and yep. you just cannot get enough power, even if you've got 15 kilowatts of solar panels on your house, you know, you still need a backup for the backup for the backup, right? So, you want to go off the grid, it's going to become cheaper to own, operate, and maintain a diesel generator you fire up once every two years just in case um, than it is to connect to the grid. And that day is going to come at some point. And some people have already made that choice already. Yeah, I think our, our local sort of um, wholesaler is thinking about that already. So here in South Australia, we have an organisation called SA Power Networks. Um, I'm not really sure on their structure whether they're fully government-owned or partly privatised or what, but it doesn't matter. They're the sort of wholesaler that runs all the, the grid and the lines. And they're already starting to think about what happens because we're already at crazy levels of solar adoption and our tariffs are dropping. Mm. So I remember, you know, you used to be able to get 18 cents a kilowatt and then it was 16. Now mine's down to 12 cents a kilowatt in terms of export when you, you know, export power out to the grid. Mm-hmm. Um, and the power price is dropping as well. But for someone like me, I'm not actually like in a typical year, I might use like three kilowatts of power. I'm, I'm not using power. I'm just paying for the supply charge and I'm hoping to monetize, you know, the power going back out the other way. So I can definitely see a point where, I don't know, either the local government has to step in or they have to figure out how to set up, um, you know, more advanced sort of local grids and, and try and figure out some different finance model because you do still need to pay for the grid like at the end of the day. Like it's a weird situation where you can't, mm. like someone has to pay for it or like that. We kind of have to figure that out as, I guess, as a community and as a, a sort of state and, and as a country. Yeah, I don't necessarily want to tackle that one, but that is definitely a problem because, um, yeah, as you say, it does still needs to be paid for by somebody because everything's all interconnected. Someone has to own, operate, and maintain it. So, um, you know, unless you want to run extension leads in a big crisscross network around your neighborhood, <laughs> which you could do, but you shouldn't yeah. do, um, not with extension leads from Big W anyway, but you know what I'm saying. So um, anyway, but yeah, um, whole nother conversation, but fascinating. So look, thanks for that. I was um, I was I was also curious about the um, 
you have a have a link in here about Flinders University and the six thousand panel solar installation. What's that about? Yeah, so this is the thing. So when I drive a lot, like I drive about fifteen thousand kilometers um, a year, which I think is a decent amount compared to sort of most people. Um, and so there's there's a lot of kilowatts that need to go into the car. So in summer, I've got no problems. Like the the sun shines all day, I can charge. I can literally charge from twenty percent to like ninety percent, and not even feel it. Like it's just. The, the solar panels cover that but in winter if you have let's say like in Adelaide we had a really rainy winter and maybe you have four days straight of just you know um, really thick clouds because it's not really the rain that gets you it's just the super thick clouds that actually cut out the the sun coming to the panel and then I found okay now I can charge my car but I will need to use grid power and I hit this really weird mental block I'm like I don't want to pay ten dollars on my power bill to charge my car and then um, literally what happened is Flinders University, so that's where my wife works, they installed years and years ago, they installed a massive, massive solar array. I think 6,000 panels, I don't know how many gigawatts of power, but crazy amounts of power that they generate on site. And then just recently they've opened up, um, they installed a bunch of chargers in all the, the car parks and they said, hey, look, if you're um, staff or student, like you get to charge here for free and we just use our local renewable power. Like it's just, it's all like an integrated system. Cool. And I mean, one, that's really cool, but two, because my wife works there, I'm like, hey, your, your stuff can you can you just yeah. drive my car in once a week and at first she was like oh, what the hell like why but i think then she kind of you know realized it's kind of cool you get to you get a guaranteed parking spot you plug your car in mm. you know you leave with basically full battery at the end of the day and it's all just renewable powered you know there at the university and i think there's just something really cool about that story is that they they didn't do that just because they wanted to be renewable like they're actually you know, they'll make the money back on that installation in terms of, you know, power costs saved and power exported. But it's just that cool little microcosm of like, you know, there's this little energy grid here and there's there's charges here and we can just make the whole thing run. That is cool. And you forgot one other really important benefit. She gets to drive a Tesla one day a week. So, you know, that's that's <laughs> definitely a plus. Yes, I think she's desperate for the Model Y. Yeah. So we've been looking, um, yeah, she's got a slightly older car. But the weird part is, as you know, the situation with used cars, like her used car's been going up in value. So we're like, yes. if this keeps going, it's like insane. if we sell at the right time, might be able Three, to make this work. These trends continue. Um, but yes, I mean, honestly, I, yeah, it's um, it, it's kind of funny how that works. Uh, if I had a choice with the Model 3 or the Model Y, um, I would have spent the extra money and got a Model Y. Yeah. Um, but I would have liked a higher driving position and a slightly more room and the boot and so on and so forth would have been much better. It wouldn't have been that much more money, but they still haven't got them in Australia yet. They haven't released them here. So like, no. what can you do? You just got to keep waiting. And I'm like, oh, I want my car now, please, <laughs> like nicely. Yeah, exactly. But anyway, what can you do? All right, let's, um, let's uh, so a bit of a tangent, but still very interesting. So I want to circle back now to talk a little bit about um, some of the foibles of having a having a Tesla, not specifically, not necessarily an EV in general, but just like uh, specifically the Tesla, because Tesla have made interesting choices. Um, some of them, most of them good, but not all of them necessarily. So um, I think the mo- the single biggest thing that strikes you when you sit in a Tesla and you go for a drive is the fact that there's practically no controls and it's essentially a massive touchscreen. And I know this has sort of been discussed and everything, and I wanted to give it a bit of time, you know, for me to use it. And I've, I've had four months of driving this thing and using it. And um, and I've, I've just written a long article. I haven't published it yet, but it'll be going out live with the episode um, about some of my thoughts on it. But, I mean, the truth is that you've been driving one now for several years. So um, I just uh, some of the things that I find, I'm sure you can add to, is um, I do find it to be a much cleaner interface as, as the, a massive pro. And 
I say that because one time I had to move, um, and I just mean like, you know, in a car park situation, like, oh, can you move this car, whatever, whatever, here are the keys. I went, yeah, sure, why not jump in a Mercedes, SLK, whatever the hell it was. And um, it had something like 60 buttons. I didn't sit there oh, and count yeah. them, but I got a photo <laughs> later and of, of, of an equivalent model and and, they, and someone else had done the duty of counting the buttons, like 60 buttons, and that was just the center console. And... On another occasion, um, someone, same owner of the car, said, oh, can you help me uh, pair my Bluetooth phone? It took me an hour to figure out how to do that. Um, yeah. I, I mean, it's like there was so, it was a sea of buttons. It was a user interface nightmare. And I'm sure that once you learn where everything is, maybe it makes sense. But I mean, it's insane, the amount of switch gear. Whereas when you get into a Model 3, you got a screen. Obviously, you got the steering wheel, pedals and the brake, and then you got two indicator stalks, an indicator stalk and yeah. a drive, drive stalk. That's it. Uh, oh, yeah, and the little wheel, wheelie click buttons for your thumbs on the wheel, on the yep. steering wheel. And it is, it's, it is so much cleaner and simpler. And to be honest, I think it's easier to find things because of the way they've implemented on the touchscreen. So I think that's a, definitely a positive. Yeah, I'd agree with that as well, especially because a lot of their interface, they've taken hints from the way you know iOS and Android work, which pretty much everyone is carrying around these days. So your Bluetooth example, you see a little Bluetooth icon, you tap on it, that's how you pair a phone. Like it's very similar to how it works. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, same icon as your phone, like everything sort of makes sense. I think, I, I know I've heard some people have a hesitation about that. Like, oh, it's a touchscreen and doesn't that make things harder? But I think some things it makes easier because everything is laid out nicely. You know exactly what the icons mean. You tap it. That's how you do stuff. So in general, I think, yeah, the cleaner interface and having most things on a touchscreen is, I think, is, yeah, a big win. Yeah, I agree. I think that um, the interesting thing that I found with the touchscreen, and, and this, is a, this is where I'd love your thoughts as well between the Model S and the Model 3, is that um, there is in the Model 3 and Model Y, there is no binnacle. Uh, there's no instrument gauge cluster, you know, whatever behind yeah. the steering wheel. And um, I, I hear a lot of complaining from people that generally haven't driven a Model 3 very much where, oh, I can't just glance down and have a look at the the speed, how fast I'm going because there's no binnacle. Um, equally, you could argue there's no heads-up display either, which is another another thing entirely. But, you know, uh, they're right. You have to turn. You have to drop your head slightly, or your gaze slightly, and across to the left. Obviously, or the right, depending on if you're a left-hand drive, right-hand drive country. But you know what I mean. You got to drop and go to the side yep. to see the speed. Um, and and I do that semi-regularly, simply because I'm, you know, generally speaking, I'd like to think of myself as a law-abiding citizen, and I don't like speeding fines. <laughs> so there's a there's a carrot and a stick part there. But anyway, the point is that I, um, you know, I I thought initially that might be problematic, but it turns out I don't really think it is that bad. And one of the things with the binnacle that always annoyed me, and, and this is only some cars and I can't speak for a Model 3, uh, a Model, Model S or a Model uh, X, but um, I would sometimes get to a position where I couldn't move the seat forward or backwards, up or down, or the steering column in or out or up or down on the car in question to get an unobstructed view of the binnacle. Because sometimes from some angles, because I'm, I'm, I'm not stupidly tall, you know, like I'm just under six foot, but I mean... You know, I could still sometimes I would get in some cars that you couldn't see the top of the speedo. And, you know, I'd find myself doing a little duck down with my my head and my eyes just to see what the speed was. And it was usually a problem between like 80 to 120 or, you know, freeway sort of speeds. And yeah, you don't have that problem with a Model 3 because you've always got a direct line of sight because there's nothing between your eyes and that screen. So funnily enough, I actually think that that is in some ways better. But I'm curious about how, what your Model S experiences um, were like with a binnacle. 
Yeah, it's interesting because I, I really thought I'd missed that. So the Model S, for those that aren't familiar, has the, the binnacle, as John calls it, like right in the center console, where most cars have it. It's another digital screen that, that um, shows speed. Also, when you're navigating, it will show you um, navigation. But I found in the Model S that was really useful for speed. Like I like you, I'm a law-abiding citizen. I want to know how fast I'm going. But the navigation was almost confusing because you've also got navigation, you know, back then the Model S was a giant vertical um, portrait screen sort of in the center console mm. and it was far easier to follow on there. So I kind of found myself glancing left anyway to do navigation and then right to do speed, which is a little bit of a, a weird disconnect. So the second I jumped into Model 3, I'm like, oh, this is weird. Like the speed is, is now in the center. Like mm. that does feel weird, I think, for the first few days. And I know this sounds like um, such a fanboy thing to say, and I promise I'm not a Tesla fanboy. There's lots of things wrong with it. But mm-hmm. I do think that's something you just get used to and then it becomes a complete non-issue. And it's not even it's not even less convenient. It's just like it's a different place to look and you end up looking there and you just you get used to it and then that's how it is. Mm. Yeah, exactly right. And I find that um, for me, it took all of about maybe a couple of hours of driving it before I didn't even have to think. It was all – it just became instinctive. Uh, where to find the speed on the sp- on the uh, on the screen, and it was a non-issue really. Um, I, I do accept the fact that it is ever so slightly longer, but you, the ever so slightly part is measured in milliseconds, not more than that. Yeah, and I don't think that that takes and any substantially or statistically significantly more time making it any more dangerous by not having it on a binnacle or a heads-up display. In my opinion, having said that. I wouldn't say no to a heads-up display because I had the I had a Prius at one point that had a heads-up display. It wasn't the the most advanced for the time, but it was certainly very very nice. But um, for some reason, I don't know why they haven't got a, a heads-up display in there. That'd be nice, but yeah, interesting. Anyway, yeah, I mean that'd be good just to have the speed you know right there as you're driving along. I will say one other difference between the S and the three that I think is actually a negative is the the S or at least the model that I bought at the time. It had a windscreen wiper stalk, and I know that sounds like the stupidest thing in the world, but I really don't like. That's the one touchscreen thing I don't like on the Tesla. Is that um, if you want to operate, if you want to change the windscreen wiper, so you want to change the, the duration, or you want to set it to auto, you want to turn them off, um, you either have to tap the touchscreen, or you tap a little thing on the stalk that will wipe your windscreen and then bring up the touchscreen controls. And I just think that's less convenient than a stalk that you can just reach for with your fingers and you can move in and out so you're like oh it's going a bit fast i'm going to slow it down oh, i don't need it i'm going to turn it off like i do i do find that a bit of a weird step backwards and i know they're going for the minimal look and you know one less stalk isn't that amazing but i don't know that that stalk ever bothered me i wasn't hitting it with my hands like it doesn't didn't obstruct anything it was just you know they've removed one thing that i, I kind of feel like it needed look I, I actually i wholeheartedly agree with you on that one um because that was one of my two big um sticking points i got a few of them but on the user interface side so I, I kind of thought about, well, how, how do you categorize these things? Uh, you've got glanceable information. So things like your speedo, which we've just sort of talked about. And I think for the most part, uh, Tesla get it pretty well right in terms of what's glanceable and, and key. Yeah. Um, but it's really the things like glanceless control. So you don't have to look. So you know exactly where they are instinctively. They're always in the same place. And the only way you can do that if you've got a touchscreen is to not have it on a touchscreen. It needs to be something you can feel and touch. So you know where the stalk is you know where the buttons are on the steering wheel it needs to be a physical button of some kind so you don't have to take your eyes off the road and and uh, i guess you could go into things like light touch and heavy touch so things that are like you know re- really quickly tap tap to a favorite on the screen and like heavy touch might be i'm going to mess with my stereo settings while i'm driving at 110 because why not it's probably not a good idea <laughs> but never mind so you know yeah. but but yeah so that falls under the whole um glanceless control and if you think about the glanceless controls um 
the, the two ones that really irritate me, you touched on the first one, which is the wipers. And um, so to talk a little bit about that, um, what I would like to see is I'd like to see, because you can do a shallow press, single shallow press and release. Um, you could actually use that to cycle through the modes if you wanted to. So you could go, you know, single single press would take you from off to intermittent slow, another one, yeah. intermittent fast, continuous slow, continuous fast, and then back off again. And all just by pressing the bit on the end. If you still wanted to do a, a full depth press, um, you could do a full depth press and release to do a wipe, a single wipe, and then a full depth press and hold it for two seconds to do a clean. Yeah. And you wouldn't have to add a button. And that and that'd solve, in my opinion, that would solve the problem. Might take people a bit to get their head around, but you know, it would work. Yeah, I think so. But then, you know, other car manufacturers have solved the problem by having extra switches and knobs. You know, it's not <laughs> they, they 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 cut that one just a little too far, in my opinion, uh, on the wipers for sure. Yeah, and I, I think there's the other thing going from the the Model S to, to the Model Three that really surprised me is the Model S comes with a key fob, so it works pretty much like most other car key fobs. If you're within within range of the car, the car's unlocked. Um, you know, you just the door handles come out, you pull open the door handles. That's the Model S. And I was really worried with the Model 3 because they're like, no, you don't get a key fob. It's just on your phone. And I've done a lot of Bluetooth stuff, both as a developer and just as a user. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, this is not going to end well, having some kind of Bluetooth thing on my phone that unlocks my car. But I think in the, the touch wood, but in the year that I've had the Model 3, um, there's only been once where I've had to whip out the app and then it seemed to register that it was there. All the other times I walk up to the car, I push the stupid little door handle in and the car's unlocked. Like I'd I don't know whether they've done that as a Bluetooth beacon or something, but it, for me at least it seems ultra-reliable and that's one thing I was really worried about. I, I do share your concern with that and my experience hasn't been quite so good. I've actually had many times where it's failed and I've learned that it seems to be, well, okay, I've learned. I've, through ma- many attempts and failed attempts and trial and error, um, I've done everything from I leave the phone in my pocket, I don't touch my phone. So it's in my hip yep. pocket, I keep walking along, I try the door, door doesn't work, okay. The next time I walk up to the car, I'll pull the phone out and I'll wake the screen up and then I'll try. Generally, it works, but not always. And then other times I'll walk up to the car and I'll be like, right, I'm going to unlock my phone, bit of face ID, whatever, whatever. It unlocks. Then I go to open the car and it works almost every time. Maybe one time it won't. And then if I unlock the phone and fire up the app, I don't have to do anything in the app. And then I go and reach the car door. It works every single time. So there's probably some kind of a sleep um, or low power mode or something like that that Bluetooth is going into um, such that if you don't wake your phone... I mean, okay, so I got an iPhone 12, whatever it is, um, you know, and maybe it's the case I've got on it. I don't know. I mean, it's an Apple bloody MagSafe case thing. Um, but honestly, I, I, I don't know. I haven't dug into the details. All I know is that it has not been as reliable as I would have thought. And I've actually was thinking about investing in a key fob so that I wouldn't have to deal with that crap, to be honest. Yeah, because you can't buy them from Tesla. I think they're not cheap like most key fobs. It's like 300 bucks or something, but yeah, something they, like they that. do have them. Yeah, yeah, weird. I haven't, and I've got an iPhone 13. I think I had a 12 before that. I haven't I haven't had many issues and I don't, like you say, it's one of those technology things. Like it's mm. like it works for me, it doesn't work for you. Like it, you. Somewhere in the stack. Yeah, I kind of assume, I kind of put my developer brain on it. I'm like, how would they have done it? I assume it's like a Bluetooth beacon style thing where the car's actually scanning for the Bluetooth and it can tell the distance to the phone, which I would have thought would be an always-on, but I don't know enough about those those frameworks. Like it could be, yeah, that it, it doesn't work reliably if you've got certain settings or something, like who who knows? Yeah, I don't know. It's it's uh, it's probably a multitude of different things. And there's also the other option, and that is that, you know, I'm, a, I'm trying to find a pattern where there is no pattern. It, it could just be that I've walked up to that car and for some reason 
the car was like sleeping or glitched out or something when I went to reach for the handle and it did enough times for me to connect those two together. I mean, I, I don't know. But in any case, um, it mostly works. I've always been able to get into my car, so that's important, um, and drive <laughs> off, which is also important. So that's that, that's something. Yeah. Um, but just getting back to the user interface, though, just for one second, um, is the other thing that I think is personally is quite annoying is other headlights. Um, yeah, okay. Yeah, and, and the reason I say that is because I have this habit where I, I'll take the kids to um, uh, swimming training and it's early in the morning and particularly when it's uh, when it's dark outside, I'll, I'll, I'll pull into my driveway. It's a decent link driveway I, and I'll turn the lights off out of consideration to my wife who's still asleep inside. And, um, yeah. you know, I want to turn off those headlights and it's like um, it's not even that dark, you know, twilight, but, you know, even a few hours before, well, maybe a few hours, maybe about 30 minutes before twilight, you don't legally have to have your headlights on, but the Tesla's going to make sure you have those headlights on. And so yep. there's no way I can actually turn the headlights off without going into um, one of the menus on the touchscreen. So it's like, that's really frustrating. And I feel like you, like, well, you push forward at the moment, it, it toggles between high and, and uh, high and low beam. Well, I mean... You, you could always use the, the, the pull forward and hold for that and you could always push back to toggle um, the lights on or off if you wanted to. I mean, there's a whole bunch of other options that you could do. Um, I had a couple of suggestions, but in the end, I feel like that's another, it's a little thing, but it's an annoying thing. And when you do set them to off, it resets when you get back in the car. So you get back, you, get, you stop, you get out. So let's say you turn the lights off, you get out, yeah. go and do whatever you want to do, go back to the car, jump on in, drive off again. Your lights are back to automatically turning on when Tesla light sensor says they turn on which is yeah. annoying yeah it's which is a common theme with the tesla i think it's like if if the all the automatic stuff that it does for you if it's convenient it's great but when you need to do something different you definitely feel like you're fighting against the car i think like i've had that with quite a few things where if you stick to their defaults you know great you're having a great time you jump in the car you drive off you don't do anything but the second you need to do something like you're saying i want to turn off the lights before i come down my driveway um, you know, now you're doing things the hard way. Like that really doesn't cater for that sort of thing. Yeah, it's it's it, that is very true. And I feel like um, there's some of the things that are like they're automatic, but they're not so auto. Like all the auto. Yeah. Okay. Yes, they're automatic, but I mean they don't work that well. So, and, and to me, if you've got something that's automatic, if it doesn't work like ninety ninety five percent of the time, then where's my manual override, please? Um, so like auto high beam, I didn't really talk too much about it, but I mean honestly, the auto high beam, if the car's coming. Uh, around a slight bend doesn't even have to be much of a bend just a little bit of a bend if it's not coming straight on um, you're going to be blaring high beams into them well and truly before they even get to you and it won't dip them until they're almost right on front of you and i've been flashed multiple times because auto high beam did not dip when it should have and so i just turned that off yeah i did exactly the same thing i tried it once i'm like oh this is a cool feature had exactly the same issue you had it i'm like well i'm a decent human being i don't want to high beam people i just turn that off and you can still pull back on the stalk to do it manually but it's funny it's a feature that you you think they would have tested something like i mean it's pretty obvious right this is how human being operates this control and the car is just not smart enough for whatever reason to do the same thing so you, you end up turning that off you're like yep that's that's not good yeah exactly so that was that's that one um how do you find the auto wipers (laughs) <laughs> you know what? I, again, this is like a typical Elon thing. For those that don't know the history behind this, apparently there's some super cheap component you can fit to a car that 
Um, you know, some company sells, it's like, I don't know, $2 or something and it takes rain. And it's really good. The Volkswagen had it amazing. Like, oh, that's the first car I ever had that had automatic wipers. And I'm like, this is the greatest thing known to man. Like it's wiping it at the exact frequency I would have. Mm-hmm. Um, and Tesla has been tweaking this for years now. You know, they, they do some stupid neural net thing to the incoming camera and um, it's it's not good. Like it's been slowly getting better. I will say that about it. Like it's not as frustrating as it was, um, you know, a year and a half ago. It definitely is getting better, but it's still not as good as that that cheap component like I had in the Volkswagen. Like sometimes there'll just be a bit of dirt on the screen and it'll start wiping. It's like wipe, 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 wipe. And I'm like, I don't know what you think you see, but it's not raining. It's dead dry. Like I don't know what you're doing. So then again, you have to dig through the menu and like turn it off. Like has it been the same for you or? Yeah, well, it's it's been it's failed for me in a different kind of way. I I liken it to a game of um game of tr- uh, chicken, uh, but with dro- drops of water. So like drop chicken or drip chicken or something like. <laughs> so how many drops need to accumulate on that windscreen before it starts its first automatic wipe? And yeah, and I'm playing chicken because I'm like, well, I can still mostly see out the front windscreen. I can still mostly see, and I'm like, oh. And you know, my finger is like just I'm waiting any I'm inching close to that little single white button. And I'm like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Are you going to do it? Am I going to do it? <laughs> Seriously, it is. It'd almost be funny if it wasn't dangerous. And I mean, I regularly will just lose the game of chicken because I want to see where I'm going. Thank you very much. So, you know, that, anyway, I don't know. I know they've been messing with it for years. More work needed. Oh, believe me, it's getting better. But the fact that it's still not to the level of that, you know, cheap off-the-shelf component that you could have just bought and like stuck in your car is, is a bit of a funny thing, like, especially if you work in tech. You're like, yep, I can see what the engineers were thinking. They're like, we have a camera. We can just machine learning the, the image of the camera. It'll be better than any sensor. And it's built in. It's one less component, but it just hasn't yeah. worked out like that. And I feel like there's a lot of things about Teslas that are just like that. It's like they went the hard way and they just caused themselves, you know, a lot of anguish. Yeah, they tried to be clever, too clever. Um, yeah. But I mean, another one that uh, that I found interesting was the uh, maybe this is more of a feature request, but like auto steer. When you've got autopilot on and auto steer is engaged, um, yeah. and it sees a speed sign coming up, and let's say you're dropping from no, no, let's say you're going up from eighty to a hundred. So if you were previously at a hundred, previously as your set speed, it'll automatically jump up to a hundred after you hit the sign, and you'll gracefully accelerate up to a hundred. Like two thumbs up, that's beautiful. But when it's the other way around, that's not what happens because you hit that 80 sign yes. and it's like, oh, I should be going 80 at this point. I will start slowing down. And after you've got your cruise control lag, you could be going 100 meters, maybe more, yeah. um, before you actually reached 80. And I know many, many, many police who would love to sit in that zone yeah. and give you a speeding ticket. Yeah, especially if you're in the country. They, they love that yes. sort of thing. They're just like, it says 80 and you've passed the sign, like tough luck. And that's fair enough. Like that's that's mm-hmm. what the law is. That's right. And it's like the fix for that is really super simple. It's really basic physics. You know, we figured this out a long time ago. You know, you have depth perception in, in a Tesla. Yeah. And so you know how far away you've got GPS as well, even if you didn't. But you could figure out your distance to the sign. So you know how long it's going to take to decelerate. You know it's 80 up in front of you. So start decelerating 100 meters before that or whatever the distance is so that I get to 80 when I hit the 80 sign. It's not shouldn't be that hard, I would have thought. But anyway, so it's just annoying. Yeah, I find that, that annoying as well. First world problem, I know. I, I, I'm hearing myself as I'm saying it, but anyway, still. <laughs> yeah, I can hear some people listening to us and they're like, you too, like it's incredible. you got one of the most advanced cars in the world and here you are, you know, you can read street signs but it can't slow down properly. Like, oh, it sucks to be you. Yeah, well, you know, nothing is so perfect that it can't be complained about, so I heard once in a podcast. <laughs> um, exactly. Another one. I oh, know, right? Another one, emergency lane departure avoidance. This one, yep. has this ever got you, because I was driving, just minding my own business, you know, 
three lane each way, divided freeway, and I was just changing lanes, like yep. just changing lanes. And it's like, no, steering you back into the lane you're coming from. I'm like, no, I want to go into that lane. No, you go back where you were. <laughs> what are you doing to me? I'm fighting with the car to stay to, to change lanes. I God knows what the other drivers thought behind me seeing this carry on, this Tesla doing this 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 weird dance between lanes. Has that ever happened to you? I haven't had that one. I have had it beep at me. I haven't had it try to yank me back in. I don't know if that's a setting that I changed maybe because you can tweak yeah. some of that stuff in, in the settings. Maybe I have changed it. But the one that gets me all the time is there's a forward collision warning. Yes. Um, and the way that works is the car in front of you on the touchscreen goes red and the car starts beeping at you. And I've set mine to medium because I'm like, well, I do want to know if we're going to hit someone, but I don't need to know. Like, But the problem I have is every time there's a car either parked on the side of the road or turning let's say left like off the street that i'm in so mm-hmm. it's kind of slowing down but you can see there's nothing in front of it it's just going to turn into the street and it's going to keep going mm-hmm. the tesla would just consistently beep at me it's like you're gonna hit this thing you're gonna hit oh no wait never mind you're not gonna hit it he's turned i'm like well obviously he's turned he's got momentum like you can see how fast he's going like it's weird that it can't you know calculate simple things like that i don't think i've ever had the emergency brakes go off or anything like that, but it just beeps at you and it's, it's kind of annoying um, phantom braking, I think a lot of people call some of that stuff and some of it's not so phantom. That's That would fall in the category of not phantom, I guess. But uh, I've had similar experiences on roads that have got the, um, that are very undulating. So like up and down and up and down. And um, yeah, where they were too cheap to get a bulldozer and let make it level, you know, like those sorts of roads. Yeah. And um, some people call that a feature. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> the, th- the thing is that as you're going down towards the bottom, it'll sometimes do a phantom break because it it can't see above the dip out the other side and it's oh, not all the dips yeah it's not all of them it's only some of them and i think it's also different times of the day like in lower light conditions so there's probably a whole bunch of factors that lead up to that but it's just yeah little things like that just shake your confidence and you realize that full self-driving is a long way off but never mind um it's uh yeah uh, one more thing on the automatic stuff, and then I'll, we'll get back to the user interface a little bit more. But um, uh, that just annoys me is the mirror um, auto dimming, and I realized that um, this was not previously something that you, it was like it was either you had it and it was on, or te- or you you know you didn't have it installed in your car or something like that. And they they made it configurable only a couple of months ago. Like you can now turn it off if you don't want it. Um, the auto dim feature on so the rear view mirror and the side mirrors. Oh, I haven't seen this. Have you? No, haven't you? Okay. Uh, so, um, so what it is is they've they've got a um, like a lot of car manufacturers these days. They've gone away from the traditional you know two position prism, so the prism and the mirror, kind of the toggle lever yep. in the yeah. So they now apply electrochromatic coat, which you know it basically kind of like an LCD in a sense. When you apply a voltage to it, it it basically goes uh, turns darker, and that provides uh, some reduction of the light intensity. So that's all very cool, but the user interface. Like there's no manual switch. So if I say, yes, auto dim my mirrors, um, when the light sensor says it's time to auto dim, it'll tell you when it auto dims. In fact, no, it won't tell you. You'll just look up and notice that the dimming's on. Um, it's There's no way to actually say, I'd like my auto dimming on, please, right now. And it's like, yeah, but it's not dark enough, so you don't want to do that. Yeah, okay. Like, no, 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 I'm driving. I'm, I'll tell you. I want to dim my mirrors, please. Like I had a switch before. I could just flick it. Um, in my traditional old car so don't and because why that's annoying is it's because well if it's twilight again if it's twilight and you've got a big four-wheel drive behind you it would be just so lovely to be able to just go right dim my mirrors please but you can't do that it's a little thing but it's just annoying so anyway yeah auto stuff that's not auto enough (sighs) okay i feel like we've complained enough there but i mean (laughs) 
One of the things that uh, about the user interface as a whole, all of these things that we've talked about are absolutely solvable just with a software update. Yeah, and that's one of the things where Tesla's got them beat because I had a Toyota Fortuna previously, and it had a traditional um, like a center console. Well, I mean, it was touchscreen, but it was resistive touch and it was rubbish. But it had the maps, and you wanted to get an upgrade to those maps for your sat nav. That was going to cost you two and a half thousand dollars if you wanted it, and it was a little card yeah. you had to bring into the dealer and do a download to it. Whereas the Tesla, hook it up to your Wi-Fi and you get updates whenever they're available from Tesla. And it's the only car I can think of where you can wake up in the morning and the control's on the other side of the screen. And it's like, could have swore that that was on the other side last <laughs> night. But you know. Yeah, yeah this one's interesting because I've I think I've been, I think the original version I started on was version 9. So this was in the Model S back when it was all 3D looking and and stuff. And one of the first times I noticed this is my car... So the way it works is that the car will say, hey, look, there's a software update. Do you want to install that? And you can say, yeah, do it now. And it takes about, back then it used to take 45 minutes. It's like, or you can set it to go at 2 a.m. or you can just completely ignore it if you want to. But one of the first ones I got actually, I think, shaved like 0.5 of a second off the zero to 100 time. Mm. So it actually tuned something inside like one of the electric motors. And I'm just like, that's kind of crazy. And then the next one I got was um, the car never used to have a dash cam feature. So it's got all these cameras on it. But it didn't have any sort of feature where it would record the output of those cameras onto a USB stick like they all do now. Mm-hmm. Um, and then literally one day an update came out and it's like, hey, if you stick a USB um, stick in the center console, um, you'll get this brand new dash cam feature and it'll record the last 10 minutes of driving and you can press a button to save it. And I'm like, that's cool. Like this is mm-hmm. the first car I've ever owned that like things are actually improving and the interface was improving like everything was was kind of getting better. And I always had at the back of my mind, and I think this is where you're going with this, is like what if one day they roll out something and you don't like it? And I'd never had that before. Like version mm-hmm. 9 to version 10 was amazing. Like literally I think everything about it was better and I had no complaints at all and I didn't see many in the community either. And then we've recently just had, a, I believe it's a version 11 update where they've they've kind of gone minimalist, I think, in the user interface and moved a lot of things around. And yeah, maybe it's it's cleaner and things are more organized, but I find that all the, just like you say, all the buttons that you'd learned where they were and exactly how they worked and where to look, they'd all just moved. And you're like, what on earth is going on? And some of them weren't there anymore and some of them were in menus. And I think that's the first time I kind of sat back and gone like, oh, like, is this an upgrade? Like, I don't, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. It's like you, you don't know what you're getting until you get it, um, which is, you know, and there's no way back. Once you upgrade, there's no downgrade, as far as I'm aware. Yeah, there isn't. Yeah. So it's kind of I a... I don't believe there's a way to do it. It's kind of like an Apple Watch. Um, you, don't, <laughs> you can't go back. <laughs> you better be sure you want to upgrade that anyway. Um, but yeah, so I, I found... I was only using V10 for two months uh, before I got the V11. So it really wasn't that painful for me in terms of relearning. I mean, it would have been much harder like for people who have been using it for several years, like yourself. I imagine it would be more irritating maybe. Um, but the thing that stands out to me is the thing that's annoying is the the um, the black strip across the bottom. Um, it's just little things like uh, tapping the air conditioner temperature buttons. It's nearly impossible. Yep. You can't see them. They're these tiny little sh- um, angle bracket chevron looking things. Um, that's just terrible. Sentry, uh, I guess, also used to be available and now it isn't. I know you can like... I know you can put it back, like you can permanently put a spot on the bottom dock there because it... Okay, so in V11, they gave us the ability to, to customize some of the spots on the bottom bar as a shortcut. 
And I think, yeah, that was your point. You can actually do that. Yeah, you can put it back there. I think it's a more recent software. But then they only yeah. give you four spots and yeah, it's a pretty so. wide touchscreen. It's like kind yeah, of have more than four spots. There's, there's room for them. Yeah, what are they saving that space for? A rainy day? I, I mean, don't, I don't... I mean, there's rumors that they're making their own app store and maybe... But but even so, like, give me eight spots. Give me, like, whatever. There's there's room and there's you don't need the padding between the other things. Like, mm-hmm. And so I had to pick, like, which four icons do you want to put there? And if you really like the the um the dash cam then you got to get rid of something else like that's just yeah it's yeah. weird yeah and that that was exactly my my frustration because it used to be on the long top always there yeah um there's a few other things that you mentioned as well about uh, that's missing from from v11 that you got used to like um yeah i got used to like for example the seat heaters so in winter i know adelaide's not crazy cold but it was nice like you didn't want to turn on the heater that blew hot air into the cabin you just wanted to be a little bit warm you just one tap you could tap the there was two little seat icons and you can get the ones for both sides. And now they're sort of in between the – they're underneath the, the air conditioning menu, so you have to tap on the temperature and then you get that as options. But the annoying thing is is if you've got your, your air conditioner off or your heater off and you tap that button to get to the seat heaters, it turns it on. Yeah. Because it's like, oh, oh, you're going to the oh, – I can help you with that. Like, let me turn all this on for you. Like, no, I just want to just want to touch. So you got to tap that, then you got to tap on the seat heater and then you got to turn the heater off. It's like uh, just things that used to be easier that are, that are now harder. Yeah, it's an interesting point that I hadn't actually thought about that because I haven't actually used the seat heaters yet, uh, except for my son well, playing a practical joke. So. Yes, I know. <laughs> I live in Queensland, so yeah, there's that. So maybe I go to drive up to Stanthorpe or Applethorpe. Maybe I might need it barely, but you know, apart from that. Um, but yeah, and I haven't had mine through winter, so I don't really know what that's going to be like. But um, in any case, yeah. So um, it's it's been a little bit. Uh, yeah, a bit like that, and and I found I found find also the um, the whole inability to go back and the lack of choice. It's um, I think people should have the option, and I know they're not going to probably not going to do this, but it's like if I want to live with outdated maps, I want to live with outdated maps. I'm not going to go in and pay two and a half thousand dollars to Toyota to get updated maps in my you know a six year old you know four wheel drive. Um, yeah. But with Tesla, it's like you know you. you I'm trying to think if you can opt out of all software updates. I mean, I guess technically you could cancel it, but eventually, I'm just trying to think, I don't think it's possible to fully opt out, is it? Uh, I don't think you can opt out. You can just not install them. So I, I do, I know some people on a Tesla forum that haven't installed updates for years. They're just like, I don't want to, I like my car. And I'm like, well, fair enough. But I think eventually um, Tesla get onto you because sometimes they're rolling out firmware updates to things like the battery management system or like other systems. And there's no way to get one without the other like you can't get the firmware for all the bits and keep the old operating system so yeah it, i think eventually they kind of encourage you to basically say look we're going to cancel your warranty unless unless you install the the latest update yeah exactly i mean i i guess we could sort of carry on a bit about some of the things that aren't quite right with v11 but i feel like it's um i'm hopeful that they're gonna fix a few things and and make it a bit better but yeah tesla need to find a better way of of describing and letting people know what they're in for when they do upgrade because yeah. there's just no there's just nothing saying this is what you're going to get it's just like yep there's an update okay good yeah and if it's got things you want that's great and sometimes they will listen so both in good and bad ways so like for example the little driver profile because me and my wife both drive the one car mm-hmm. and so when when she drives it so she switches to hers and when i drive it switches to mine they used to be on the main status bar and they move that um down into a menu which is very minor. You got to tap twice, but still, it's like it's annoying. And they've actually moved that back in the latest update, so it's it's back up in the top when you're in park, which I actually think is a smart decision. If your car's parked, you get access to it. If you're driving, you're obviously not going to be changing profiles, so no need for it to be there. Like I think that's 
the right kind of compromise. It's just weird that they didn't get there the first time. Like they had to have community feedback to to actually fix that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's kind of a shame, but at least they got the message. But so we talked about it briefly before, um, and I just want to circle back to full self driving. No, it isn't. Um, I've ne- I test drove a Model Three that had full self driving, but I didn't actually. Um, I didn't actually. It wasn't navigate on autopilot, and I didn't have a chance to actually test any of the features that it. Well, okay, that's not fair. I had a chance, but my rationale was this: if I try it and I like it, then I want it, and I don't have ten grand, so I'm not going to try it on principle. So I didn't do anything. Now, on on the other hand, um, you did have um, full self driving in your Model S. So uh, tell me a little bit about the about that. What, what, what was it like? Was it, uh, was it worth it, I guess, is the key thing? Well, that's the other interesting thing about Tesla is full self-driving used to be $2,000. So that's still a lot of money, but it's a lot less money than $10,000. So I, I actually, because it was new and it was shiny, I wanted to play with it. I'm like, you know what? For Christmas, like I'm going to get myself, you know, full self-driving. So I bought that for the Model S and it comes down as a, as a software update. Um, and then I think they rolled out Navigate on Autopilot. So I tried that on the, the freeway where you basically, you get on a freeway, you push down twice on the stalk and um, the, literally the only thing that changes is if there's a slow car in front of you and it knows there's other lanes available, it'll indicate and then switch in and out of those lanes for you, which is, that's actually a, a nice feature. Like you don't mm. have to do it, but it's not it's not the end of the world. And the other one is you can, you can manually indicate if you want it to change lanes while it's on full self-driving um, and it'll do that. Um, and then the other two features that came with uh, Auto Park. So um, I had that on the Golf, like a the system where you could say, I want to park in a car park and it would detect reverse parallel park spots and you'd press the accelerator and the brake, but it would do all the, the steering. Mm-hmm. And that was amazing. Like I used to pull up outside cafes and think I was the greatest thing ever. You know, everyone's staring at you, they're having their coffee and you put your hand on the steering wheel and you pretend like you're driving and you kind of reverse in. So the Tesla has a system similar to that, but it does everything. Like it'll see the car park, it'll park it. And it's... I tried it many times. It's one of the worst parking experiences I've ever had. The only way I can describe it is if, let's say you have a 10-year-old kid and you give mm. them your keys and you're like, here, can you park my car? And they probably can with enough trial and error. Like the car will literally – so let's say you've got the one where you pull in sort of um, – I don't know what you call it, just standard car park. They're not sort of tilted at an angle. They're just straight. Mm. Um, and I'd just test it on that. I'm like, okay, you pull in. So it would half pull in. It would realize that it's not quite centered. It will pull all the way back out of the car park and then back in. And then it's like, oh, I'm not quite in the right spot and pull back out. And meanwhile, there's like I'm in a multi-rise car park thing. There's other people waiting to park. Like I don't have the time to sit there and wait for the car like for three minutes to pull into the, the easiest spot in the world. And it's it just makes me really nervous as well. Like I've tried it reverse parallel parking as well and it's just not that good at it. And it gave me such a bad experience that I'm like I'm never, you know, using that feature again. And then Summon was slightly different. So for those that don't know, um, there's a feature of fully self-driving where you can go into the Tesla app and as long as you're not on a public road, so you're in a shopping centre car park or you're on sort of private land, um, you can say, and you're within a certain distance of the car, I think it's 30 or 50 metres or something like that, you can say basically come and get me, which sounds like a really cool feature, right? The way they advertise it is like you're in a shopping centre car park and it's raining really heavily. Wouldn't it be amazing if your car could come and get you? And I'm like, yeah, it would be. But again, it's literally like giving you keys to a 10-year-old, like watching the car navigate like a car park. It's it's honestly just scary. It's like it's going to hit someone like any second. And you have to hold your finger down on the button. So they've, they've thought of that. When it looks like it's doing something stupid, you let go and the car stops immediately. And it's not going that fast. But as a feature, it just feels like this is a cool party trick. Like I was at a, mm-hmm. a winery once and we were parked in your typical sort of gravel 
um, you know, winery style car park. And, you know, I had some sort of family with me and they were asking about the car and I'm like, oh, check this out. Like I'm going to stand here and I'll get the car to, to come over to, to me. And it was like a hot day and you just watch the car kind of pull out and then come over. And then literally um, this old guy was traveling back to his car and he kind of has a look at my car and he looks at it again. He realizes there's no one like in the, the driver's seat. And he's like, mate, is that thing driving itself? Oi, mm-hmm. Barry, come have a look at this. This car's <laughs> driving itself. Like how good is this? Like and it was it was one of those like moments. It's like a cool party trick, but there is yeah. – Unless someone's like blocked you in, let's say they've parked tight on both sides, which I don't know how often that happens. Like, it's a pretty useless feature. Like, like overall, I don't know that. Yeah, I don't know that I'd recommend buying it at two thousand dollars. And at ten thousand dollars, I feel like unless they actually figure out fully self-driving, which which I don't think they're anywhere near. Like, I don't know that it's that it's worth it, really. No, we'll see. I um, that's <laughs> that's pretty cool. I mean, you you you're right. It falls into the category of party trick. Um, and I. I, I can see the use case. Like if you've got a really narrow garage that you've got to get into and out of regularly, um, first of all, you know, because originally I think the feature shipped with a Model S, which I can understand because it's so freaking wide. You know, like, you know <laughs> it's not going to fit in a normal garage, so you're going to need this feature. And it's like maybe you shouldn't have made the car that wide and then you wouldn't have needed this feature. But anyway, I can see that being a regularly useful thing. But beyond that, uh, I can think of the number of times that I've been parked in a situation where someone would have helped get the car out without having to pry yourself between the, a partially open door and the yeah. uh, and the B pillar or whatever the heck it is. You know, it's like I can probably a dozen times in twenty years. It's really not worth it for that use case. And yeah, t- ten grand's a lot of money. And um, I mean, it's not yeah anyway. So. No, I think you're right. Like for that amount of money, you'd want to do a heck of a lot more. And I know Tesla keeps promising that they're going to do actual full strength driving, and I just don't think they're close. So I think if if you're an Australian and you really desperately want this feature, just because it's you know it's a cool party trick, the only tip I'll give you is buy it after delivery because it costs exactly the same amount, um, and then you're not paying all the taxes on top of it. So it would actually cost you more to order it from the Tesla website than it will just to go into the app and and buy it afterwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And that's good old Australian luxury car tax rules and so on and so forth. So <laughs> go yep. Australia. Uh, taxation, that's uh, anyway, don't get me started. All right. So um, one of the things that, um, you know, th- there are some really cool things. Anyone who's listening to this by this point in, the, in, in this episode, you might think, well, geez, we must hate our Teslas because we're complaining a lot. Yeah, no. <laughs> No, I love my Tesla Model 3. It is a fantastic car. It is the best car I have ever driven in my life. Certainly the best car I've ever owned. Um, having said that, I have not, never driven like a Bentley, a Ferrari or any of those other cars, but then I can't afford them. So that's yeah. no good. So it's like, that's that hand on my heart. It is the absolute best car I've ever driven. Um, it is so, it is comfortable. It's fast. It's fun. It's, um, it's just a very, very nice handling car. Um, so having said that, um, it's all the little things that you can do with it that you can't do with other cars. And, um, I know you listed a couple, but, um, I, I particularly enjoy, and this is not something that's unique to the Tesla, I'll admit, but I mean, cause the Nissan Leaf could do this. I can fire up the air conditioning five minutes before I'm ready to go in yeah, the middle of summer awesome. uh, and you come out, it's nice and cool inside. No problem. Um, and there's another time, uh, I kid you not, um, I had a full charger driven downtown. I was parked in an underground car park. It was really, really hot. I bought my wife for um, Christmas a beautiful box of nice chocolates. I didn't want them to melt, so I ran the air conditioner for nine hours straight while I was at work. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> yeah, just, it's, it's all the things you can do in an electric car that you can't do in a petrol one because you can't no. be sitting in a car park running running an engine. 
No, exactly. So, I mean, this just, yeah. So, I love that. But um, what are some of yours? Um, I mean, firstly, yes, uh, 100% agree. It's the best car I've ever owned. Like, I love it. It's it's pretty much the only car I've ever owned where I'm like, you know what? Every time I get in this, it, it kind of makes me happy. And I know that sounds consumerist or whatever, but screw it. Like, it, it does. Like, it actually genuinely makes me happy to, to drive it around. And then there's there's little things. Like, I think you touched on it with the app integration. It it actually works. It's reliable. Yes, it sometimes takes, you know, 30 seconds to wake up the car and, um, you know, and get, get to talk to it. But it, I've never had it fail on me. Like you can turn on the air conditioner, you can look at the current temperature, you can do all sorts of things um, in the app. You can see the charge rate, you can change the charge rate if you want to sort of keep up with your solar care. Like it's all these nice little modern tech features that I think as someone who's really into tech, like I just, I love that stuff. Like it feels like a really, really expensive like tech toy like sometimes. And then one small thing that I just wanted to highlight because I got this one recently. I didn't even know this was a feature. Mm. Um, I took my kids to this place called Bounce. It's like a trampoline mm. sort of fun type thing. Um, and I got this notification on my phone. It says, hey, you left your back window open. I'm like, what? Like, is that a thing? And sure enough, I walked out my back window's open. I'm like, that's that's cool. Like, it's a tiny little thing, but it's like a cool feature just to know that, hey, maybe you didn't mean to actually leave the window open. We're just, we're just going to let you know. That is very cool. I've... Uh because uh, I remember one time I I, I came home and um, I got a notification like that and uh, I'm like of course it's always a kid right because I would never leave the window down like that <laughs> exactly it's always the kids <sighs> it's always the kids anyway uh, so yeah and, and that was unexpected but pleasant so one of the things that I thought was interesting about uh, Tesla's from the very beginning like particularly okay not the very beginning model model S is where they started with the damn door handles yeah <laughs> um, it's like. I know, and, and honestly, I do think that on a scale of why did they have to, um, uh, like the the extreme are the, is the Falcon wing doors on the Model X. That's the yep. the extreme, but certainly the door handles. So you tell me your beef, I'll tell you mine. <laughs> so with the with the Model S ones, like for those that haven't seen them, they come in and out. So they they weren't too bad. It's like okay, you've made the door handle different, and now I have to wait for it to pop out. But okay, like it's more aerodynamic. I understand you. Um, and then I got a Model 3 and I'm like, what the heck is with this door handle? It's like they've just reinvented the door handle such that it's flush with the door and you have to push your finger into the left part, like your thumb basically, and then pull it out with the other part of your hand. And mm-hmm. you do get used to it. You're like, oh, cool. Like I understand now how to open a door. But it's a it's a problem that didn't need solving. Like now I have people who are trying to hop into my car and they're like, oh, excuse me, I don't know how to open the door. Like that, that's pretty embarrassing. Like for, for a problem we solved years ago to, to sort of reinvent the entire system and and I don't, I, yeah, I honestly don't know why they did it. I understand their core goal was to have it flush, but you can make flush door handles. Like that is also a, a solved problem, I feel like. So I, I do remember another car. I cannot for the life of me remember what it was, uh, but it had a small spring-loaded flap, if you want to, for the better way of describing it, that folded inward. So you'd put your fingertips on the bottom part of it and it would just tuck under slightly, revealing the part where you could then pull on the door handle to open it. And... If you were to do that on the Model 3 uh, door handle, if you don't push that larger paddle section closer to the front, you wouldn't even know that it would go in. And that's what I've watched people do that have not used these door handles is that they'll go to the door handle and they'll start like, they'll, they'll, they'll first they'll swipe on it trying to like get their finger and to, okay, that didn't work. Then they'll push on it in different points to try and see what it does. Um, yeah. Like the first time, some people have, have tried that door handle. And you say it's embarrassing. Yeah, it kind of is because you're sitting there and you have to explain to this person that they're usually like, you know, a, a friend or a, you know, an extended family member. And they, they're just trying to open the car door. And they've yeah. opened, you know, hey, yeah, car doors. I used probably to have thousands car of door cars door, car door yeah. before. Right? I mean, it was yeah. working <laughs> yesterday and, and I walked up to your car and now it doesn't work anymore. What, why? 
and it's yeah. So that was my experience as well. Is that you yeah. feel you feel it's bad that you have to explain it. Here's how you do it anyway. Yeah. Anyway. Um, all right. So a um, couple of things, and then we can wrap it up real quick. Um, uh, basically, I just I do personally hope that um, we don't strip out more and more from this from from the next generations of Teslas because I look at the plaid yeah, so. and what they've done with it, and it's a bit of a worry. So, yeah, and I think Elon is is kind of my worry. There is like, yeah, he's he's pushing for full self driving and he's trying to make the car more full self driving friendly. But I'm like, maybe just keep the car as it is until you've actually figured out that problem, like one thing at a time. Yeah, exactly right. If you want to talk more about this, you can reach me on the Fediverse at Chigi at engineer.space, on Twitter at John Chigi, or one word, or the network at engineered underscore net. If you're enjoying Pragmatic and you'd like to support us and keep the show ad-free, you can by becoming a premium supporter. Premium support is available via Patreon and through the Apple Podcasts channel subscription. Just visit engineer.network slash pragmatic to learn how you can help this show to continue to be made. Thank you. A big thank you to all of our supporters. A special thank you to our silver producers, Mitch Bilger, John Whitlow, Kevin Koch, Shane O'Neill, Oliver Steele, Leslie Law Chan, Hafthor, Jared, Bill, Joel Marr, and Katarina Will. And an extra special thank you to our gold producer, Stephen Bridal, and to our gold producer, known only as R. Pragmatic is a podcasting 2.0 enhanced show, and with the right podcast player, you'll have episode locations enhanced chapters and real-time subtitles on selected episodes and you can also stream satoshis and boost the message if you like there's details on how along with a boostergram leaderboard on our website pragmatic electric has recently launched as a video edition of this podcast you can watch in podfriend curiocaster the apple podcasts app downcast podcast guru or if you're into youtube it's there too make sure you check it out today so um, so if you'd like to get in touch with Russell, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you, mate? Uh, you can hit me up on Twitter. So just Rusty Shelf um, is my Twitter handle. So yeah, like a corroded shelf, if that's what you want to imagine. Um, and that's probably the best place um, to get me. Like if you want to read about some of my Tesla um, Powerwall stuff, um, you can also go to rustyshelf.org, which is my blog. I haven't posted there in quite a long time, but so you don't have to scroll very far. You'll find the Powerwall post like pretty quick. There's also links in the show notes for all of that stuff. So awesome. Thank you very much. And a special thank you to all of our supporters and a big thank you to everyone for listening. And uh, thanks for coming back on the show, Russell. It's been, it's been fantastic. Oh, awesome. Thanks for having me on. No worries. 